0: Um, It is great to be here with you. Um, I'm going to be preaching on Romans uh, chapter 1, Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, maybe I'm here for the first time today, maybe you're here for the first time today and don't have a Bible. If you have a cell phone, you can just Google Romans 1 and then you want to type ESV, Romans 1 ESV, and then just pull up that page and you can follow along. And uh, we're going to refer down to that text throughout. Um, as well. Also, I've been told by someone I have an accent. Um, I'm not sure I believe that. It's a room full of people with accents. But, um, but it, so you may have to pay attention. You know, I've been told I speak with an accent. I speak quickly. So uh, please uh, forgive me if you don't understand what I'm saying. Um, whatever I'm saying, we need God's help to understand, don't we? So uh, before um, I read, let's turn to the Lord for some help. Um, let's ask for his help in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, you tell us uh, in your word that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Uh, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. We come to you today as people with souls that need reviving. As people who uh, need wisdom, who feel we lack it. We come to you as people who are discouraged, disappointed, who need joy in our hearts, as people who need our eyes to be enlightened. So we pray that as we read your holy word, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, cause rejoicing to come into our hearts, uh, enlighten our eyes, uh, give us wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1 down to verse 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his Son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you. Who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to open with a question What is the most amazing news that you have ever heard? What is the best news you have ever heard? Maybe a college acceptance letter. The birth of a grandchild an unexpected promotion at work, a good report that surgery went well. What is the very best news that you've ever heard? I wonder if your first response is to say the best news is the Christian gospel, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. That word gospel means good news. Perhaps you already knew that. It's a word that would be used to describe an announcement, perhaps a royal birth or victory at war. You may know and believe the Christian gospel. You may know and believe that it's good news. Uh, but is it the best news you have ever heard? Is it the most amazing news you could ever hear? And if you know that, do you know that not only in your head, but do you know it in your heart? Do you feel that to be true? Uh, does the sheer wonder and glory of the gospel drive and compel you when you get out of bed in the morning? Are you moved by its greatness? Uh, just as when you, you look out on the mountains, this was one of the most amazing things flying in here from Pennsylvania, where mountains really are kind of small hills, uh, flying out and seeing the great mountains, just as you're moved by the greatness of the mountains, uh, or when you see the vastness of the stars in the sky, uh, do you uh, find yourself moved by the glory of the gospel? Uh, we, don't tend to keep, keep, we don't tend to keep good news to ourselves, do we? we? It's, in fact, impossible to do so. Often you receive good news, and uh, you immediately get on the phone, and you want to tell someone. Uh, so if uh, the gospel is such good news... Uh, Do you ever find that you're reluctant to tell people about Jesus Christ? If the gospel is such good news, how can we possibly keep that gospel to ourselves? I find that to be a very challenging question. I mean, there are plenty of things that do excite us, aren't there? Uh, Sports, perhaps. Uh, Politics is uh, kind of its own sort of sport. Uh, Crafting, our grandchildren. Uh, But are we excited about the Lord Jesus Christ? Who he is and what he's done for us? Or rather, through the busyness and pressures of life, do we find that our hearts have begun to grow hard or cold? If so, then this letter, Paul's letter to the Romans, is written for us. Because one of the aims of this letter, for sure, is to shore up our foundations in the faith. Uh, Maybe you've read this letter before. Maybe if you're a young Christian, a new Christian, you haven't. And I want to commend it to you and encourage you to read it. Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans presents one of the most thorough and well-reasoned presentations of the Christian message. Uh, the reformer Martin Luther referred it, uh, referred to it as chief amongst the New Testament. He called it pure gospel. But what we need to see is the Book of Romans isn't designed just to instruct our minds. It's also intended through our minds to engage our very souls. Uh, God, through these spirit-breathed words, wants to move us. He wants to move us to a place where we move away from our indifference or even the shame that we might feel about the gospel to a place where we'll boast about it and glory in its truth. Uh, To a place where our hearts are gripped by it. Uh, To a point where our hearts and minds are so gripped that we're willing to invest our time and our energy and our resources in furthering its proclamation uh, here and around the world. And we see this focus on the glory of the gospel from the very start of the letter. Uh, Notice how Paul opens the letter. Uh, First of all, he opens there in verse 1 by reminding us of who he is, Paul, uh, a servant of Jesus Christ, something which you could say of every single believer. But Paul then goes on to say he has a unique role. Uh, The risen Lord has called him to be an apostle. Uh, He's been set apart with a unique task for the gospel of God. Uh, His life was consumed by this one passion. Uh, And in fact, it's the passion that drives him to write this letter. Uh, We find out who he's writing to in verse 7. He's writing to the Roman Christians, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, we could just dwell there. What a great description of every believer. Uh, That is who it's from. It's from Paul. It's to the Romans. Uh, But did you notice that sandwiched in between those things, Paul provides a somewhat extended introduction. Verses 2 through 5 is a kind of subject line, and it's one of those subject lines that's really long. Maybe you've ever got an email which which somebody accidentally wrote the body of the email in the subject line. That's almost how it is here. Uh, This is the longest uh, introduction in any of Paul's epistles. Uh, Having shared how he was set apart for the gospel, it's as if he can't control himself. He just launches into a sermon on what that gospel is. Uh, And in these verses, he spells out three things, three things that really are central to the whole letter. Uh, Three things about the greatness of the gospel. Uh, Why is the gospel, Paul is going to write about, the most amazing news we could ever hear? Well, here are three things. Firstly, because in the gospel, God has done everything that he promised. God has done everything that he promised. Uh, Secondly, because in the gospel, God's son is everything that we need. He's everything that we need. And then thirdly, in the gospel, God offers salvation to everyone, to all kinds of people. Uh, The message of the gospel is one with universal significance. And in each of these things, may God help us see the glory of the message of Jesus. Uh, Firstly then, let's consider how the gospel is good news of how God has done everything that he promised. Uh, God has done everything he promised. And by that I mean, everything that happened when the Lord Jesus Christ came is something that God had clearly announced before. Uh, This is something Paul emphasizes throughout his letter to the Romans. Uh, that the gospel, the gospel message, is not some newfangled thing. It isn't some new fashion. Jesus isn't some fly-by-night preacher. Uh, No, the gospel has deep roots, roots that can be traced all the way down into God's promises in the Old Testament. Uh, From the very beginning, uh, God had said that he would intervene in his world. And what God had promised from the very beginning is now finally here. I look down at verse 2, Paul says he was set apart for the gospel of God. And what do we learn about that gospel? Well, in verse 2, we read this, that the gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. As you just heard John mention on the video there, when I was in college, I majored in physics. What that meant is I was in a class full of complete and utter nerds. The college knew that, and so they decided to help us. Uh, they would uh, insist we took a special class. I kid you not, that class was called Communication Skills. Uh, why on earth would we need such a class? I don't know. Uh, one of the things they taught us was, was public speaking, which uh, I believed was quite a stretch because most of us struggled even with private conversation. Uh, but what they said was this. When you give a talk, you always have to follow this outline. Maybe you'll even detect it in my sermon today. Uh, firstly, tell them what you're going to tell them. Uh, Secondly, tell them what you're going to tell them. And then finally, tell them what you just told them. And that way they won't miss it. I thought that was a pretty clear outline to follow. And in many ways, what we need to see is that is what God has done in the Bible. In the Old Testament, he told us what he was going to tell us. In fact, he told us what he was going to do. And then in the, the arrival of Jesus Christ, he actually did it. He did everything that he promised. We can read about that in the Gospels in the New Testament. God came into the world to live the life that we couldn't live. He came into the world to die the death that we deserve. And then in the epistles, like this one, from Paul to the Romans, he tells us what he told us. In a letter like this, he helps us understand what all of that means for you and for me and for the rest of the world. The gospel is everything that God had promised. That's the point I'm making here. But let me even backtrack on that because maybe you're here today and and you quite frankly did not know that God had promised anything in the first place. And maybe all of this is new to you. The songs we're singing, the the words we're reading, uh, the whole idea of of, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, When you think about God, all you really know is muted silence. Uh, I think about another group of people Paul wrote to in the city of Ephesus. Uh, He described them as without God and without hope in the world. And maybe that's how you feel today. And maybe this is the first piece of good news and it's news to you. Uh, to discover that the God who made us has intervened in human history, uh, that he has made certain promises uh, to us, that he's committed himself from the very beginning to do certain things about all of the sin and the suffering that we see around us in the world. Uh, he has planned uh, certain things, and he's been kind enough to tell us about those things beforehand. Uh, he sent certain men, prophets, messengers from God, uh, men who then committed his word into writing. You see, what we have here in the Bible today aren't merely human words. This is what we believe as Christians. What we have in the Bible is the very word of God. Look at how Paul describes it down in verse 2. God promised certain things. He's the one who spoke, the primary speaker. And how did he make these promises? Well, he did it through the prophets, his agents, his mouthpieces. And where can we hear God speak today? Well, God promised through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Paul is referring primarily to the Old Testament that the believers would have had at his time. But as Paul writes this letter, as the authorized apostle of Jesus Christ, we can really say the same thing about his own writing. We believe that God is speaking to us in the Bible. The Bible is God speaking. And what is God saying here? That's the question we're asking. Well, Paul wants us to know, and God wants us to know, that the Christian message has a backstory to it. Knowing the backstory is an important thing, isn't it? Like when you decide uh, it's one day you're going to sit down and dive into one of the later Avengers movies. Uh, my wife and I made that mistake just a while ago uh, on Disney+. Plus. I think we started watching Infinity War. Uh, maybe you've seen it. Uh, for most of us, uh, for most of the movie, we actually had no idea what was going on at all. Uh, so much so, we decided to stop halfway through and backtrack, uh, backtrack in the uh, Marvel Comics catalog. Uh, why did we find it so hard? Well, because we'd missed the backstory. That's the point. Uh, there were characters we'd never seen. There were things we didn't know had happened before. Uh, and the same can be true with the, the message of Jesus Christ, with the gospel. And uh, what I want to suggest is this. Uh, this is actually something that is glorious and powerful about the gospel message, something that is compelling about it, uh, that it taps into really the history of the whole world. Uh, the gospel is the culmination of, of an amazing story, uh, the most amazing story ever told. In fact, this is the most amazing story because it is a true story of God's dealing with the world, a story that goes back through generations that starts at the very beginning, a story that has all kinds of twists and turns, a story that encompasses history, uh, the history of the whole world. It's a story of how God, the God who made us and loves us, saves us uh, from the punishment we deserve. It's a story about the God who made us and loves us, but a God whom we reject. A God who yet, despite our rebellion, doesn't abandon us to ourselves. And know a God who from all eternity put in place a plan, a plan to save his people. And a plan which down the ages worked its way out as God pursued us down the ages, appearing and speaking in many times and in many ways through the prophets written in his word. A plan which would crescendo in God himself coming. We're going to think about that in just a moment. Uh, But listen, we need to grasp this first. The gospel is about everything God had promised. And that's one of the reasons we should rejoice in it. It's a reason we should boast, not in ourselves, but in the God who gave it. You see, one of the problems I think we have is this. The gospel becomes much too small in our eyes. Uh, We treat it as if it's just an isolated set of facts about Jesus Christ. Uh, We become content just to know the, the mere basics uh, we miss the biggest story, and therefore we miss how amazing it is. It's like we're sitting on the mountains there, looking around, but all we can see is just one tiny rock. We just look down at that rock, and look, it's probably an amazing rock, but we have to lift our eyes and see the whole, the whole vista. We have to see the great plan of God in human history. Uh, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, that's the glorious truth. Uh, but what is sin, and, and why does sin matter? And who is Jesus, and, and, uh, and why did Jesus come? And how is it that Jesus' death actually pays for our sin? How does Jesus actually deal with our problem? The truth is that God is a God who spent thousands of years explaining these things to us in the scriptures. Carefully unpacking them, giving us images, giving us pictures of of sacrifice and, and what those things mean. And all of that is recorded for us in the Old Testament. And what I'm suggesting is this, unless we consider these, these great promises of God, uh, our faith in Jesus Christ will end up being just a little bit anemic. Uh, we won't see this as the turning point, the pivotal point in all of human history. Hopefully you can see then why Paul is pressing this point home from the start. Uh, we need to know the gospel. We need to know that in the gospel, God has done everything he promised. The gospel is everything we could ever hope for or long for. It is like a wedding at the end of a long engagement. It's like a a healthy newborn at the end of a difficult pregnancy. Uh, The gospel is about God doing everything he promised. That's the point of verse 2. But notice then how he goes on in verse 3. We see here not only is the gospel good news of God doing everything he promised, it's also good news about God's son doing everything we need. Uh, God's son is everything we need. That's the second point. Uh, Look down at verse 3 with me. Uh, What is this gospel about? What what was the gospel that God promised? Uh, Verse 3 tells us it is the gospel concerning his son. It's the gospel concerning his son. Uh, To put it bluntly, this is what this means. Uh, The gospel isn't first and foremost about you. The gospel isn't first and foremost about me. I know the gospel is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is a point at which we can so easily go wrong. This is a point at which the gospel can begin to lose its sheen for us. We can lose our excitement about it. And not because there is anything wrong with the gospel, but rather because there's something wrong with us. We lose our focus. We become so drawn away by all of our own needs and the details of our lives or else we become bogged down by all of the many challenges we see in the world. I'm not saying we should bury our heads in the sand or we should be unconcerned about public health or politics or poverty. What I'm saying is amidst all of those things, we mustn't... Lose sight of the Savior. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. Uh, That's what Paul tells us in verse 3, isn't it? Uh, Firstly, he tells us who Jesus is. uh, That he is God's son. Uh, By saying that, Paul is is clearly referring to Jesus' pre-existence. He's telling us that Jesus existed in eternity before he was born. That he is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. In other words, the gospel isn't just about a man coming. The gospel is about God himself coming to our aid. Isn't that the most amazing news that you've ever heard? That God didn't just send some mere messenger to do his work. He didn't believe that saving us was somehow beneath him or below his pay grade. No, God himself came in the person of his son. He became a man and as verse 3 continues... As a man, he was descended from David according to the flesh. I think that word flesh is so interesting because it's a word that's used to describe our human nature and, and so often a word that's used to describe our weakness. The gospel is about God's son coming down to earth and taking upon himself our weak nature. And what's this about David, descended from David? Why does that matter? Well, that really brings us back to the first point. To grasp the background of that, we need to understand some of God's promises uh, King David played such a key role in the gospel backstory. We read all about it in the book of Second Samuel. In Second Samuel seven, God had said to David that one of His own sons would sit on the throne forever. Uh, the Scriptures go on to describe in Isaiah eleven how how that son would would once one day come and, and rule with perfect justice and bring perfect peace to this broken world. Is that not the kind of ruler we need? Is that not the kind of government that we all long for? Uh, so often politicians uh, are self-serving. It's easy to become jaded and, and cynical, isn't it? Uh, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. He, the eternal word, was willing to become flesh. Uh, though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider that a thing to be exploited to his own ends, but, but rather he became a man and, and took on the very nature of a servant. Uh, he served us by going to the cross, by offering his life in our place. Uh, such was his love, such was his grace. Uh, this is the good news we believe. And having said that, that Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of David, what do we read next? At uh, Verse 4. Uh, verse 4 is all about the resurrection of Jesus. And I have to confess, verse 4 I think is a bit confusing at first. Uh, but the main point I want you to see is this, that, that having died and been raised, Jesus now occupies a new and exalted status. Look down at verse 4. Uh, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. What does that mean? I thought I already just said he was the son of God. How can we then say that he was declared to be the son of God only by his resurrection? Does that simply mean that his resurrection proves that he was indeed the eternal son of God? That is what some commentators on this passage say. But if we want to be faithful to the text, I think we have to say a bit more than that you see things only get a bit more tricky when we realize that this word declared there is actually probably better translated appointed. The text tells us Jesus was appointed the son of God in power. What does that mean? Well, there is a sense in which as a result of Jesus' resurrection he now was appointed to do something that he didn't do before. In his resurrection he has become something that he wasn't before. Now, before you take me outside and stone me as a heretic, let me explain what I, what I mean. Uh, this is a mistake that we often make when we think of Jesus Christ. We tend to think about him merely in the abstract. We forget that while he was and is fully God, he became fully man, that he, he lived on the earth. And as a man, he came to earth to accomplish a very specific task. He came to earth to meet in full all of the requirements of God's perfect law. And on top of that, he came to bear the punishment that we deserve for our failure to do just that. And having done all of that, having completed that work, what then? Did Jesus just dispense with his humanity and just just return back to heaven? No, as a man, he was raised. As a man, he became the only savior. More than that, as a man, he entered a new kind of life. He inaugurated a whole new way to be human. Uh, For what he did in real time and space, Jesus Christ was rewarded for his work. Uh, Philippians 2 tells us that because he was willing to give his life, therefore he's been exalted to the highest place. He's been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is is Lord and Savior. Uh, Did you know that today? There is a man, a resurrected man on the throne of the universe, seated in heaven. Uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Uh, This is what Paul means when it says he was declared or appointed to be the Son of God in power. It's not a change in his eternal nature. He was and is the eternal Son of God. But rather it's a change in his earthly status. A status that one day every single person will acknowledge. He is now ruling and reigning in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And one day he will reign in a new heavens and a new earth. Having died and been raised, uh, he now gives new life to his people. And by the Holy Spirit, he makes people new. The risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the glory and power of the gospel. Uh, earlier, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a new song by uh, the band Imagine Dragons. In the first track on their album, they, uh, they actually had a song that goes like this. It struck me because I was reading this text at the time. The, uh, the song went like this. It said, I'm trying to be somebody else. I'm finding it hard to love myself. I've wanted to be somebody new. But that is impossible to do. Maybe you've felt that way at times. Maybe you see your own life. You think, wow, if I could be someone else. Wow, I really wish I could love myself. I want to be someone new, but it it seems impossible to do. Well, it is impossible for you. That is for sure. But here is the amazing news. It is not impossible for the Lord Jesus. You see, this is the good news, good news concerning God's Son. A good news that God has sent his Son into the world to die for our sins, to rise, to be seated on the throne of the universe and give new life to people like you and me. That he came to fulfill all of God's promises by dying for sinners, rising victorious over sin and death, returning one day to judge the living and the dead, and even now pouring out his Spirit, giving new life to people by his Spirit. Uh, Does that news grip you at all? I mean, do you really believe this is true? If so, why is it that we aren't more excited about this? I mean, we all know people. Maybe we know people really well. Maybe we know them so well because we're thinking of ourselves. We know people whose lives are broken and and whose lives feel hopeless. Uh, We know people who long for joy, for peace, for hope, who need to experience deep forgiveness. Uh, That is what we believe Jesus came to do, is it not? to forgive people, to cleanse people, to make them new. God himself came into this world to do that for you. Is that not the most amazing news you've ever heard? The gospel about God doing everything he promised, the gospel about God's son doing everything we need. But thirdly and finally, before we close, we need to say a few things, a third thing from this verse, or these verses. That in the gospel, God offers salvation to everyone. The gospel is good news of what God had promised him, doing everything he promised. Good news about Christ, his son has done everything we need, but also it's good news about God uh, offering salvation to everyone. Uh, By that I mean the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for the whole world. And this I think is so vital because, I mean, having said everything that I've said about the gospel so far, surely you have to ask who is this gospel for When we think of good news, good news for one person can actually be bad news for another person, can't it? Like if you get a certain job, well, that means the other person doesn't. Is the gospel like that in some way? Is it limited in its scope? Is it about making certain kinds of people winners and, and other kinds of people losers? We need to understand that was a live question in Paul's day. One of the questions that concerned Paul and other Christians at the time was this, did God have a plan only to save the Jews? Or did God have a plan that extended to the salvation of the non-Jewish world to the rest of the nations? Of course, Paul himself, who wrote this, was raised a Jew. The apostle Paul was a part of an exclusive Jewish sect, the Pharisees. He was trained at the feet of a famous rabbi called Gamaliel. In the early part of his life, he was committed to the Jewish cause. He was an ardent promoter of Jewish exclusivity. And that is what makes verse 5 so shocking and surprising and encouraging all at the same time. You see, Paul had encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ who called him and set him apart. And what had he been set apart for? Well, look down at verse 5 with me. Uh, Through him, that is through Jesus. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And let's very briefly unpack that for a moment before we close. What does Paul mean by the obedience of faith? Well, that is what the gospel calls for. It's the response the gospel calls for. If the gospel is about God fulfilling all of his promises in Christ and about Jesus doing everything we need, how do we respond to that? What must we do? Well, in one sense, we must do nothing. That's what we must do. Instead, we must trust in what God has done. We must put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. We must rest on him only for salvation. and uh, We must seek to obey Jesus Christ as our Lord, uh, which of, of course includes his call, obeying his promise to repent and believe the good news. Uh, that's the response the gospel calls for. Uh, but who is called on to make this response? Uh, is it only a certain kind of people? That's really the question. Uh, no, says Paul. He was called to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations Paul is clear the gospel message is for everyone, from every place. No matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been, the gospel message is for you. And this again is a central point in Paul's letter to the Romans. As I've said, a pressing issue at the time was this divide between Jewish people and Gentiles. This had caused some conflict not only in Rome but around the world as more and more non-Jewish people were becoming Christians. But Paul wants us to see that the gospel is a leveler, that it irons out all human distinctions. As you see when you read the rest of the letter, all of us, Jews and Gentiles alike, share the same problem. We are all alike, rebels. We're all under sin. We rebel against our maker. All of us need Jesus Christ. We all need him for who he is and for everything that he's done for us. And so for all people, there is only one way out, one way of salvation. It uh, sounds exclusive when I put it that way, but such amazing news, because there is one way, there is one way out, and it is a way for all, for all people. Uh, the gospel is about everything God had promised. Uh, the gospel is about God's Son doing everything that we need, and the gospel is an offer that is open to everyone. Uh, do you believe that about the gospel? Uh, do you believe that it is universally applicable? I wonder if in our heart of hearts we, we, we buy into the lie of pluralism. We come to believe that maybe there are 101 different ways up the mountain, 101 different ways to get to God. That somehow it doesn't matter what you believe as, as long as you sincerely believe it. But the gospel is essential for every single person. There is no under, name under heaven by which we must be saved. And finally, before we close, we do need to understand that phrase, for the sake of his name. Paul is called, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. What does that mean? Well, all of this is for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. As one commentator puts it, the name is the self-unfolded person known and understood. In other words, in Jesus Christ, God has revealed himself to us. That's the wonder. That's the glory of the gospel. Uh, The purpose of proclaiming the gospel isn't just to advance our agenda or or to produce more converts. And the ultimate aim is to promote the knowledge of God, his fame, his reputation. It is to make the greatness of his name known uh, to people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation uh, so that they will bow the knee to Jesus Christ now and acknowledge him as Lord now, uh, giving glory to him before that last day. And in some ways, I think that brings us all the way back to where we started. Do we have a desire to see people know and come to experience the glory of the Lord? Do we truly believe that that this is the best thing in the world for them? That's another way of asking this question, isn't it? Is the gospel the best news you have ever heard? Remember that question? What is the best news you have ever heard? News of a new job, news of a new home, news of a new baby? Or is it the good news of the gospel? Now, are you moved by the greatness of the message we believe as Christians? If not, then hopefully even just in these few moments, in these few verses, your hunger has started to stir. In his famous preface to his letter, the letter to the Romans, Martin Luther wrote this about the letter. He said, It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. And the more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And may that not only be true for the book of Romans, if you were to read it, but may it be true of the gospel message itself. In these opening verses, maybe you're beginning to see why that should be the case. In this book, Paul's letter to the Romans, you see the gospel unfolded, not just in its truthfulness, but also in its goodness, in its glory. And so my prayer is that as you reflect more and more on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll be more and more moved by it. I pray the Lord will strengthen your foundation, but also launch you with boldness out into the world. I pray that God will use his word, his gospel, to shake us from our indifference, to shake us from our shame, and to help us proclaim in this world the best news we could ever hear. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ who came who died, who was raised, and who did this for us. And we pray today that you'd help us to understand and believe that truth. We pray particularly for those of us who are here who maybe have never heard these things before. Uh, Lord, we pray that it would, it would be clear what we need to do, that all of us need to put our faith in the Lord Jesus. And for those of us who know and believe that, who, for whom maybe it's, it's old news, we pray that you will make it new news again, that it will be fresh in its glory and its power.